Hey everyone, welcome to You Had Me at Black. I'm Martina Abrahams Alunga. We're just two weeks away from the premiere of our newest season, which drops on March 6th. Until then, we're revisiting some of our favorite stories from the past. Today, we're rewinding Medicine of the Mind from season three. In this story, Mark travels from the concrete jungle of New York City to the mountains of Peru for a trip like no other. Here's what happened. You're listening to You Had Me at Black. Black. Right in the heart of the city. Black. Man, listen, man. Black, black. I'm sitting at my desk at work. It's probably like 1 p.m. And I get a text from my friend. He's like, yo, can you call me? And, you know, I'm thinking it's an emergency. I'm like, "Uh, okay. So I kind of stop what I'm doing. I get up from my desk. I give him a call. He's like, hey, I'm going to Peru next week. My girlfriend canceled on me. It's a group trip. Everything's already paid for. Can you just get to Peru? When he called me, at first I was like, no, like I can't go to, I can't go to Peru next week. I mean, you know, I really felt nervous. I thought that I wouldn't be able to do it. But every time I tried to find an excuse to not go, like I had nothing going on the next week. You know, I had plenty of days off that I could take. You know, I had money saved to take a trip. I just hadn't thought about Peru. I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean. I can try. So I found like a pretty good deal to Peru, like Lima, Peru. So I buy the ticket. So I get to Peru. Everything's going great. You know, the first day of the trip is fine. We enjoy Lima, Peru. You know, the second day of the trip, we explore some more. Then the next part of the trip was a fly to Cusco, Peru. And the next day, we have like a group lunch. So we go to the group lunch, and it's like a Peruvian version of a, a plaza, like a small little shopping plaza. We kind of jet out a little early because we had already finished eating. The checks, everything's already taken care of. So it was my friend and I. We were just walking around looking at the other stores, looking to buy some souvenirs. I was specifically looking for like an alpaca fur, like pillowcase or something like that. So we walk into a shaman shop. You know, we're just browsing around looking at little figurines. But there was some really like dope art and like crazy books with all these weird paintings and really trippy looking things like this book is really cool we couldn't pronounce it at the time but it's like ayahuasca on it my friend he's done like these types of psychedelic drugs in the past so he was familiar with ayahuasca he had done like dmt i mean he was familiar with you know those types of experience i for one have never experimented with like any type of drug like that at all so i'm like oh this is cool like i was calling it a drug at the time i, I knew nothing about it except for the five minutes i was there with the shaman so we walked back outside and we were like, oh, we talked to this shaman. He was telling us about this thing, ayahuasca. And one of the girls on our trip, and she was pretty quiet the whole trip. She didn't really talk much, but she was from Florida too. So we had connected a little bit and she's like, oh, you know, I studied that in college. I'm a religious studies major. And she kind of gave us like a quick rundown about like how people tie this into religion. And she was like, yeah, it's believed that when they saw the burning bush, it was sort of under the influence of a similar concoction. And they've been doing this for centuries. You know, the Incan and Peruvian people have been doing this. And it's like a thing that's known in the Amazonian rainforest. I'm like, okay. All right. So it's kind of legitimized to me a little bit. 
And so now she's excited to go talk to the shaman as well. So we go back in and they're asking more questions. They're actually asking more questions than I am. I'm just kind of browsing around. I'm still looking for my pillowcase. And then he's like, actually, we do ayahuasca ceremonies. We can do that for you. And we have openings for tonight at 7 p.m. And it's like maybe 2.30. And I'm like, yeah, we should do it. I think we should do it. And then they both look at me like, Mark, you know, are you going to do it? And I guess I didn't have a reason to say no. I mean, we're all adults. We're on a group trip. So I said, yeah, uh, sure, whatever. So we signed up. We paid. He said, come back at 7 p.m. Don't eat anything for the rest of the day. Pee, poop, like get everything out of your system and like start to meditate and all this and get ready for 7 p.m. when you come. And even at this point, I don't think it hit me. I'm like, all right, cool. We're going to go back to the plaza. You know, we're gonna, I'm going to drink this stuff and I'm going to have an experience. I'm going to go back. Right. Wonderful. Seven o'clock rolls around. We go back to the plaza. Nobody's there. Everything is closed. Nothing is open. And now, like, that was the first little tinge of like, okay, like, I don't know if this is the best idea. So like five minutes go by, uh, 10 minutes go by. Then a car pulls up. There's two Peruvian men in the driver's seat and then the passenger seat. And they don't speak English. We don't speak Spanish, but I, we kind of just, through a series of like, you know, hand gestures and eye contact, we were able to determine that, you know, they were there to pick us up. So it's the three of us crammed in this backseat. It's a very small car. It's tight, right? I don't have like leg space. Like it's tight. And at this moment, I realized, oh, I thought we were going to do this in this store like I didn't know we were going to go like off-site to another place so I'm like okay all right I'm going to get in this car with these two men we pull off we leave out of the main city center and then we're driving I can still recognize some of these places because we had been in the city for like a couple days and we explored a lot during the daytime so I can recognize a lot of the places we're passing by but then we kept driving so like 40 minutes Later, we're still driving, and the whole time, there's no radio, nobody's talking, we're just riding in silence, and it was at this point where I'm starting to panic, like, oh, okay, if I'd have known it was going to be this up to this point, I would not have said yes, because I have no answers, nobody can communicate, so at this point, I pull up my phone, I'm like, I know I'm on roaming, like, I'm going to turn my phone on just so I can see my dot, like, on Google Maps, so I turn on my phone, I'm like, I'll pay whatever fee I have to pay, and no service, no bars, no nothing. And then we finally get to like a freshly paved area and they stop the car and they're like, they kind of just gesture for us to get out of the car. So we get out of the car, no words. I hadn't spoken a word in 45 minutes to an hour. Nobody has. And then they kind of just gesture us up the hill, walk up the hill. At this point, I'm like, this is some horror movie shit. I'm going to die and people are going to be like, well, he should have known better. I was scared. I was truly terrified. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. And the thing is, when they gestured for us to go up the hill, they didn't come with us. They stayed back at the car, right? So we're walking in silence up this hill and we get to like this like metal sliding door, tall gate. It's like the opening to a complex. And then there was kind of like a moment of levity when we all look at each other like, who's going to knock? Like, somebody has to knock. So I knock. Knock, knock, knock. And the door, like, swings open. And there's this lady. She's like, oh, hello, hi, welcome. And we're like, oh, God, thank you so much, English. How are you? 
And she like invites us into this complex and there's a few houses. And we're walking by, we're seeing like a daughter through the window in the living room watching like, you know, The Voice or something. So it's like, all right, okay. I feel a lot more comfortable about my situation. So now I at least know I'm going to get what I pay for. So we walk past the house and there's like this circular hut looking building. It's like, okay, you're going to come into this building here. And she's like, here's your bed. Here's your cot. So just have a seat here and the shaman will be with you. The shaman comes in and he looks exactly how you would imagine a shaman. He had like lots of beads on. His hair was long, like past his waist. He looked about, I don't know, he could have been anywhere between like 60 and 120. He wasn't very tall, but he looks so wise. Like he like held his hands in front of his chest together, like a very calming posture. And he walked in, he's like, hey, you know, I've been doing this all my life. It's the only job like I've really done. I've been doing this for 40 years. You guys are in good hands. We've been doing this ceremony. My father taught it to me and I'm teaching it to my sons. This is very sacred to us. We're happy that you're here to have this experience. He gets right to it. Like he didn't even really sit down. He just says, all right, come here and, and have a drink of this ayahuasca. It was like a double shot like a double shot glass, like literally what you would get from like Chili's or TGI Fridays. So I drank it like straight back. It was like the consistency of like a Bloody Mary and it tasted like, you know, shredded olives and grass, some other flavors that I can't identify. It wasn't a very tasty thing, but it wasn't terrible. It's probably acquired taste. And then the assistant shaman drank one and the shaman drank one and we're like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I did not know that you guys were going to be drinking this too. I thought you would be helping us through this process. Then they walk out and they said it takes about 45 minutes for it to kick in. So just have a seat and we'll be with you. So they leave us in this room. They walk out of the room. This was the moment where I'm like, oh shit. I'm in the mountains in Peru in a hut. And I just drank this elixir. I have no cell phone service. Nobody knows where I am. What the fuck am I doing? Why, why, why am I here? What am I doing? I'm making a terrible mistake. I start to sweat. And all these emotions I'm feeling, I don't even know if it's what I drank or like it's a normal emotion. Like I'm like, oh, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm so stupid. Like, what am I doing? There wasn't really much conversation at all. It was maybe like, you know, are you feel anything? No. What about you? No. But after 45 minutes of sitting... I blinked. And you know, when you blink, you expect to see darkness. It was already pretty dark. So a blink is basically the flame going away. It was pitch black dark. But I did like a, you know, extended blink. It was so bright. I saw so many colors and I like a, an audible like, whoa. And like right on cue, the assistant shaman comes in and the shaman comes right in right after. And it didn't say anything. At this point, I'm scared to close my eyes. You know, I'm not ready to see all the, what's going on behind my eyelids. But eventually, you know, I had no choice. So they started playing music. So they played this music for eight consecutive hours. And it sounded like a meditation playlist, except it was live. So they had leaves shaking. They were singing in the Quechua language. It was very soothing sounds. I'm still scared, but I lay back and I close my eyes and like instantly I am like, I'm not in my own body. So at first, it was like an internal struggle for me to let myself go. 
my eyes are closed now. Like I literally, I feel nobody. I feel like I am a perfect sphere in this space. And then like things are just flying by like so quickly, different shapes turning into different animals, turning back into shapes, all sorts of colors splashing around. I'm able to see the music that they're playing this whole time. So like, I can, you know, like when they change the note, the hues change, like I can see sounds. And I still, at this point, I was internally trying not to let go, but then I finally just kind of let myself go there. I'm trying to explain this with words, but like it's impossible to, I'm doing my best, but I became like a perfect sphere and I could feel like literally everything happening on the planet. And when I say that, I mean, I could feel every single blade of grass on earth. I could feel every cloud pattern. I knew the weather, I knew where it was raining. I knew where it was not raining. I could feel my gravitational relationship with other planets. Feeling that it just feels like walking into like a new space, like a new room that you didn't know was there. It didn't feel scary. It just felt like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Internally, that's what I'm saying. Like, am I really feeling every blade of grass? But, you know, it's hard to grasp. But I felt every one. Like, you, no one can tell me otherwise, right? I feel like I'm a rational, insane person. So, you know, I continue down this path. I'm not even sure if I'm like way outer space or like deep, deep, deep internally within my own self. Which, you know, a year and a half later, I think is more the latter. I got there. I feel like I was really deep, far, like super deep inside of my own mind. This was probably like the the most memorable part of the experience. I felt like I was either with God, like closely with Him. Or like I was like standing in for him for a brief moment so he can show me what he feels and sees. I'm not like a very religious person. I didn't grow up in the church, you know. So that was a surprise to me to, to be in that space. And I could hear, or I wouldn't even say hear, but I was in a space that like predated language. It predated time. Everything was a feeling. And then all these messages were coming to us. And I can kind of understand that there was prayers. There was no words, right? Because it was just before language, before time. Like pre-Big Bang, pre-Big Bang. That's where I was. And I could tell there were prayers coming. And they were coming different ways. And I had an idea that, oh, these are probably coming from different languages. People are praying from all different religions, but they're praying to the same place. And for each one of them, he sent out like the same message. Like, it's okay. You are permanent. You've been here much longer than your body has and you'll be here much longer after your body goes. So you are permanent. I spent a lot of time there in this space with no time and no language. And it just felt like at home. Felt like a more religious experience than like just getting high. It wasn't high. It didn't feel like I'm like doing a drug recreationally. It did feel like a meditative religious experience. So the next morning, I woke up super refreshed. I felt like I'd been sleeping you know, all night, which I basically was laying down from like eight to, you know, six in the morning. And then the, the trip continued. So like the next thing on the itinerary was to go out like up into the mountains, like super high up into the Andes mountains. And I feel like the experience continued there because like I live in New York City. I see a bunch of concrete all day and just being up in the mountains were super quiet. And I just had more time to reflect about my experience and where I stand in this world. 
after the trip, after Machu Picchu, after spending great times with friends, new friends, get back to New York. I land at JFK, and, and I, it was back to normal. I have, like I had lived this entire new life in Peru. It felt like I was there for months, and I was only there for eight days. And it was just so much concrete. It was right after July 4th when this happened, so it was super hot, loud. Uh, people were just, you know, just being New Yorkers. And it took me a good two weeks to get readjusted to New York because it's just two different extremes. I think I went to the park like three times and like the following week just to like see grass and just be in nature because like I was just one of the things created by God. Yeah, I've been a lot more spiritual for me now. And I, a lot of times I hear like God is within you. And I'm like, that resonates a whole lot more strongly to me now. Me telling this story is kind of my way of getting back into that very reflective phase as I begin a new year. I'm not saying that I want to you know, try it again on January 1, but I do want to just make sure that I'm reminding myself that I'm permanent you know, no matter how shitty 2016 is, we made it to 2017. So there's a, there's something in that. Hey, it's Brittany. Did you know that You Had Me at Black is 100% volunteer run? That's right. This show is a labor of love for our community. And our mission is big. We're here to reclaim the Black narrative. And after five seasons, 70 stories, and over half a million downloads, we've only barely scratched the surface. That's why we're launching a fundraising campaign on Wednesday, March 13th, to sustain and grow this show for seasons to come. You can learn more at youhadmeatblack.com build. Peace.